Okay, so <laughs> next week, next week our high five uh, kiddos will be back in high five. Excited about that. I want to also tell you that uh, you gave faithfully for um, our backpacks for Jenny Lane and for uh, Life's Purpose, our Carter's kids. And all of those have been taken care of, so thank you very much for giving for all that. About 140 backpacks full of school supplies. Um, we'll do all that this week. You'll hear more about that um, this in just a little bit as we're going to do that on Wednesday night and give those out to our kids in Jenny Lane. So we'll be in Proverbs, Proverbs 15. We're walking through this throughout the, the summertime. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the backs of the chairs. If you don't know where Proverbs is, you just let it fall open in the middle. You're probably in a psalm, take a right. And uh, right after that, you're going to hit Proverbs, okay? We'll have it on the screen for you. Proverbs chapter 15, we're walking through Proverbs, and some of the stuff that we've run across has been hard. Um, it's been difficult. I think last week, for a lot of us, was a, a difficult week as we talked about our words and where, where our words come from and what comes out of our mouths. Um, so some of this teaching is difficult. It's painful. Um, but I think on a, in a positive way, I want to remind you um, that this is what it feels like to be born again. When, when you walk through Scripture and the Holy Spirit takes something and He tweaks you with it, that's because you're His child, you know? That's because He cares. That's because He's working in you. The, the person I'm most concerned about, okay, listen, the person I'm most concerned about is the person who sits here week in and week out, and they don't feel anything. The person who can walk out of this room, not because I'm amazing or because the worship may be amazing, but because the Holy Spirit of God is moving in this place and you walk out and nothing happens. That's the person I'm most concerned about. So never, never walk out of here concerned because you don't feel great every time we come together. Sometimes that's the Holy Spirit of God just getting on you about stuff, right? The hound of heaven chasing you down. Amen? Right? So just remember, this is what it feels like to be being made new. To have all this, this stuff and the junk and the, I'm going to use the word dross, all the, the cruddy stuff in our lives that we need to get scraped off right? That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us, and He moves in our consciences, He moves in our hearts, sometimes to confession, sometimes to repentance, hopefully to praise at the end. But it's about new life. So every time you feel a pain in here, every time you feel something that you don't necessarily like, always kind of connect with this idea of, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me right now? Why, why is this so hurtful or offensive or painful to me? Where is it that I'm not in line with what you want to do in my heart, right? What you want to do in my life. Make me new. So it's this wisdom, God's grace gift that he's working in us when we go through these uncomfortable times as we go through the book of Proverbs, okay? So God is moving and he's active. God is a person. I think that's something else as we come and, and we worship and, and, and talk about the word and all that. Um, we're not talking about a disembodied spirit. We're not talking about a God who's somewhere else and he doesn't care. Um, we're talking about a God who is personal, who is active, um, who is doing things in us for his plan, that he has a plan for you. And again, I, I want you to connect with that this morning, right? That sometimes the pain that you feel is because God's doing something new in you. But then the other thing I want to talk about is that God's got a reason why he's doing it. He has a plan, right? Um, sometimes I think that we think God... Our lives are like a giant Lego set to God, right? And he comes in and he just kicks them down wherever he wants to, and he kind of starts again. And honestly, I think God's more like the Lego sets that they have now. Have you seen the Lego sets they have now? They're ridiculous, man, right? You can build Barbie's Malibu, you know, vacation house, and it's got instructions and everything to it. We just had sticks with dots on them and put them together and built a starship over and over and over again. You know, it's the same thing we built. I think God now, it's like God's got this instruction booklet for our lives, and we feel like he's just kicked down our Lego house. And really, he's like, no, I've got something I'm building. 
I've got something I'm doing. God is the only true free will moral agent in the universe. He has a choice and a plan, and he's working to do something in your life. And I want you to reconnect with that this morning, that God has this plan for you. He has this system set up. He has worked out a system where he not only inspires us to pursue wisdom, but he inspires us as we pursue wisdom. So he kind of gives us the desire for change and for wise living and right living. And then he also empowers us to live the way we're supposed to. So he's kind of working on both ends of the spectrum. He's supporting us as we pursue wisdom. So we're going to kind of jump through several verses today that talk about what God is doing while we're pursuing wisdom. Like while I am turning my heart and my attention to, to be wise, to have God's righteousness lived out in my heart, in my life, what's God doing? So we're going to look at that. Real quick, we're going to pop through these verses, and then we'll come, to them, come back to them. Uh, chapter 15, Proverbs 15, verse 3, says, The eyes of the Lord are in every good place, watching the evil and the good. And then verse 8, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the, up, or the prayer of the upright is God's delight. Verse 9, The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves the one who pursues righteousness. Verse 11, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of men. Verse 25, The Lord will tear down the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. Verse 29, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. God is moving. He is active. He has a plan for us. He's doing things in us, to us, around us, while we are also pursuing wisdom. So shoot, maybe one of the questions we should be asking, if that's true, if God has a plan and God wants to work wisdom in us and he's always doing these things around us and in us, maybe we also should ask the question, what does God do with the unwise? If God is doing things for and with and in the wise person, what is he doing in the unwise person, the person who is not pursuing him? So I want to kind of point out that in, in Proverbs, really all throughout the book of Proverbs, but here in Proverbs 15, there's a special kind of fool here. Right? You kind of maybe you have your average, ordinary, run-of-the-mill, foolish person. And then here in Proverbs 15, there's a, there's a spectacular fool, okay? And this foolish person, this special kind of fool, it's the person who intentionally walks away from God and his ways. The person who intentionally walks away from God and the way that God says to do things. Now, some of you are thinking, well, you know, 20 years ago, I prayed a prayer, and I asked Jesus, and I'm pretty sure I can't walk away from anything in my salvation, so I'm probably pretty good to go. But my question for you is, yes, you walk towards some idea of eternal life and forgiveness and sin and all that kind of stuff, and I understand that, but what have you done since then? Have you walked away from God and His ways in every other area of your life, and you're pinning all of your hopes on some childish prayer you prayed when you were eight? Now, is that hard to hear? Because this is the message of Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15 comes at us like a sledgehammer. And it's like you cannot consistently walk away from the ways of the Lord and say to yourself, I'm okay. It's a special kind of fool that we have here. It's a chosen kind of foolishness. There's, there's always sort of, I don't know, there's always that foolishness that, that's like, I didn't know. Maybe you can claim the, play the ignorance card at some point, you know. I didn't know, so I do things I'm not supposed to do. This is the person who has chosen to walk away from God and God's redeeming work and God's renewing work and God's restoring work, God's recreating work in us. So the first thing we have to ask ourselves is, am I in this category? 
Am I in this category of person who has intentionally walked away from God? Verse 19 talks about the lazy person. The person, again, who has been exposed to God and Jesus and the idea of salvation and all that, but they're lazy. They never develop it. We're going to talk about being distracted later on. That's another category of fool. The distracted fool. But right now he says, listen, are you the lazy fool? Are you the person who just kind of doesn't ever pay attention to your spiritual walk? In verse 19. And then uh, verse 10, actively choosing to walk away. You've been exposed to it all. You kind of responded a little bit, but you then walk away. Verse 32, the person who neglects wisdom. So this is another kind of fool. The person who just neglects it. It's there, but it's not a treasure to them. It's one of 20 things on the shelf that they can pull off when they feel like it or when life gets hard. They neglect this idea of God's wisdom in their life. I think the essence of foolishness, I think this is a really good way to see it. If you want to know what Proverbs means when it uses the word fool or foolishness, it's this, and Paul Tripp talks about this. Foolishness is self-centeredness. Foolishness is this idea of of me. Everything's going to revolve around me. Self-centeredness. Self-deception. The person who says, what I am about to do, doing this my way, is actually good for me. Matter of fact, it's better for me this way than it is to do it God's way. You are self-deceived. You have fooled yourself into thinking that you know better. Self-centeredness, self-deception, self-sufficiency. I can beat this on my own. I recognize I'm a fool. I get it. I I recognize that sometimes I walk away from God, but I'm going to work really hard, and I'm going to fix this all by myself. I don't need any other kind of help in my life. The self-sufficient fool, the self-righteous fool. I am awesome. (laughs) I understand that I still have some foolishness, but man, look who I am. Look, look Look what I've become. Look what I've done in my life. I am really not that bad. The self-righteous fool. So the essence of foolishness is doing life my way. That's the essence of it all. Doing life my way. My way is better than what God has for me. So we need grace, don't we? Don't we need to just come in this morning and say, God, left to myself, I'm going to walk away. Left to myself, I'm going to pursue me. I'm going to do life the way that I want to do it. I need grace. I need you to kind of step into my life, shake me awake, and keep me from being the fool that I, I know I am. Amen? That is just grace, right? I can't get to him any other way than for him to reach in and just pull me toward himself. Let's pray that this morning. Can we do that? God, we just want to stop right now. Probably, first of all, confess foolishness, Lord. That left to ourselves, we are self-centered and we think we know better and we're going to pursue our own way. God, save us from that. Give us grace this morning. Give me grace this morning. Where I think I know better in my, you know, how my body looks, Lord, God, I need grace. Where I think I know better in, in what it means to work hard and well, give me grace. Because, Father, give me what it, when I think I, I know what it takes to be a great parent, God, give me grace. Because I'm going to veer towards foolishness every time without you. So, Father, please reach into us this morning. And this magnetic pull that we have to go our own way, Father, I pray you would defeat that in our lives. The Holy Spirit would be greater then. And, God, you would replace that with your wisdom. In your name we pray, amen. So as we're trying to pursue wisdom, what's God doing? That's what we really, that's the question I want to ask this morning. As I'm doing my best to pursue being wise and, and being righteous, which we'll talk about that too, what is God doing during that time? So let's look, first of all, at verse 3. I'll go back to verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, 
watching the evil and the good. So maybe the first thing we see here is that God is watching. God is watching. Now, maybe you have several, you know, versions of this uh, going on, interpretations of that in your head. God is sitting back on a lounge chair by a pool in heaven, non-alcoholic Mai Tais. I don't know what God's drinking, right? But he's by a pool in heaven, and he has a little monitor. Like, we have a security monitor here in the church, and we've got a, there's like 10 screens. We've got all these cameras and stuff. They're watching you right now, by the way. No, I'm kidding. But we kind of think God's doing that, and he's watching everything. God's watching, passive watching. I think the other idea that we have about God is that he's watching, and he can't wait for you to screw up because he's going to half-gainer you, right? He's going to choke you out, right? That's the other idea that we have of God's watching. Passive, what a bunch of screw-ups. I'm going to have to fix this someday when I come back. Or, man, I can't wait for Jeff to miss. Oh, there he goes. Ah, I got him. Hammer that guy. Yes, I love my job. Like, we kind of have these two versions of God in our head, a very passive God and an active God who's kind of mean. And all he wants to do is kind of squash us all the time. What is God doing when we're pursuing righteousness? He is watching us. So my question maybe for the first part of it here is like, is that good news? (laughs) Is it good news that God is watching us? And maybe you're like, well, it depends on which day it is or what time of the day it is, you know, what phone call I just got off of or something like that. Is it good news that God is watching us? Now, I'm going to gravitate toward this end of the spectrum for this, okay? I think that this is good news, and this is why it's good news, because it's supposed to be both a warning to us and a support for us. It's both a warning and a support for us. God is watching you in love. He died for you. If you're a believer, man, you need to remember that. Yes, God's watching you, but he died for you. He cares for you. He has called you his child. He has covered you with his blood. He has clothed you in the white robes of Jesus Christ. Of course he's watching you. He's got a lot invested in you, right? He wants to see you what? Not fail, but to succeed. He wants to see you be everything that he has planned for you to be in all his wisdom and righteousness. He is watching you in love. And when you act in wisdom, when you do righteous things, he wants to support you and to strengthen you. And when you don't do those things, he does want to correct you and to redeem you. And when you're teetering between the two, right, that's maybe most of life is like, I don't know which way to go, right? You're on that teeter-tot, you don't know which way to swing exactly. And when you're at that point, he is watching you to give you courage and strength and to step out in faith and to say, God, I'm not really sure I'm gonna do my best here. Bless this as I walk forward, amen? He is watching you to support you. I kind of liken it to teaching your kids to ride a bike, right? I have not yet met a parent, especially my age group parents, and then as we go on down, who basically said, hey, there's a bike in the garage, go figure it out. (laughs) Right? I don't think any of us did that. I can remember, like, okay, I remember Jenna not so much. Jenna literally got on a bike and started riding. It was the weirdest thing. I don't have, I have stories about Jordan riding bikes, but when he first started, he's first born, helmets, shoulder pads, knee pads, gloves, I mean, like, he is decked out, because you can't, can't afford to get the kid hurt, right, apparently when it's your first one, and so I can, I can just remember having that overarching desire for him to both be successful and to not get hurt, you know, but then you're doing this very action that's going to cause maybe both things, right? You're putting him on this two-wheeled vehicle that deals with inertia. I can't even understand. I don't understand how bikes work when you think about it, right? And I'm putting him out on this thing, and I'm watching him. I'm constantly there. Why am I there? To yell at him when he falls? Is that how this works? You idiot. 
I told you what to do. I knew that was going to happen. Didn't you read the instruction manual? See, but don't we have that same view of God going in our heads? I'm running alongside with him to cheer him on. Can you, I mean, as, as parents, can we remember that day when they finally get it and they get going and you are cheering? People in the cul-de-sac are clapping with you, right? Everybody's happy that your kid's finding out how to ride a bike. I think that's the picture that God has for us here. That he is watching over us to cheer us on, to give us instruction, to correct us when we're doing something wrong, to tell us to get up and to try again, right? To let us fall down and get boo-boos and scars. That's not a bad dad, is it? It's a good dad. But he's always there watching over us to correct us, to instruct us, to cheer for us, to give us power. That's another thing. When your kids can't generate enough power to stay up straight because you got to go a certain speed to stay up. You run with them to give them the power that they need, amen? Isn't God doing the same thing with us, guys? He is watching over us, not in a passive way, not in a cruel way, in a loving way to instruct us and to guide us and to give us wisdom and to give us the power that we don't have as we go through life. And we should give thanks to God for this. You should read this verse, verse 3, and not live in fear, but live in thanks. Thank you, God, that you're watching over me. Amen? Thank you that your eyes are always on me. And Jesus says it, again, in a very hopeful way. His eye is on the sparrow. Amen? Amen. He watches over the sparrows. And if he watches over them and he cares when one falls from the sky, how much more would he care for you? It's a positive thing. It's a good thing. So God is watching over us as I'm pursuing wisdom as I'm doing my best to live the way that he's telling me to live because I want to honor him and he's changing my life, he's watching over us, empowering us, and the Holy Spirit is in us, giving us what we need as we learn. Verse 8 and 9. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. This gets harder. But the prayer of the upright is, in his, is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. That phrase is repeated there. But he loves one who pursues righteousness. Now, what is this? What's happening in these verses? You have someone who's coming to the temple, to the synagogue, back in the day, and they're offering sacrifices. They're doing the religious things that they're supposed to do. But this author of Proverbs 15 is saying, listen, it's a fake religion. It's, they're masquerading as religious people, but in reality, they're far from God. So there's this fake religion that's going on here. A falsity about them. It's one who claims to follow Jesus, but whose daily life, which by the way, according to Romans, are daily sacrifice. This person's daily life, their daily sacrifice is full of bitterness and cheating and dishonesty and hatred and immorality and gluttony and materialism. And then they come and they offer sacrifices and they offer worship and they offer praise and their lips are up to God, but their hearts are far from him. They are justifying or covering up their unwise lifestyles, and it's an abomination to God. So some of you are like, oh my gosh, this is really heavy. I was not perfect this last week. God's mad that I came to church today. <laughs> Don't hear this, this passage that way, okay? This, this verse, these verses are about the person who in their heart they know they're consistently living in a way that doesn't honor the Lord, and they're trying to cover that up. Either they think they can come to church and fool God, Oh, I'm religious. Oh, da, da, da. you know, think nicely of me, God. Or they're just fooling people in their lives. But they know. They know that what they're doing is far from the Lord. So essentially, why is it an abomination? That's a strong word. 
Why does it say it twice, that this kind of worship is an abomination to the Lord? It's an abomination because this person, when we do this, we're demanding that God conform to my version of wisdom, my version of happiness, my version of fulfillment, and that is utterly rejected by God. When I live my life during the week the way I want to, I'm telling God my way is better. All week long, all week long, I'm telling him my way is better. My way to happiness is better. My way to fulfillment is better. And then we come on Sunday, and we're basically asking him to bless that. And we're saying, you conform to my version of life. You conform to my way of doing this and bless this. And that's an abomination to God, is what this passage says here. The upright person, contrast, the upright person, the wise person, is heard by God because that person comes to God as the Lord, as God, as King and imperfectly throughout the week, but consistently throughout the week, they have bent their will to him. They bowed their knee to him on Thursday, just like they do on Sunday morning. Again, imperfectly, but there's a consistency to them. And they come on Sunday, and they're like, God, you are a king, and you're a Lord, and you're not only worthy of my praise today, you're worthy of my life throughout the week. That's the start of wisdom, right? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Prayers that are driven by submission to God because his ways are always best. Always. So man, isn't this a tough question? Was your worship accepted today? If we single filed before the Lord this morning and we laid down our songs and we laid down our hearts and we laid down what we just gave him for 30 minutes, would he go, thank you? Gosh, that's precious to me. Or who would go, maybe next week. Because that is very much the picture that's drawn here. Verse 11. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of men. So here's another passage where it's like, what's God doing while I'm pursuing wisdom? And everything's laid bare before him. So what's Sheol and Abaddon? We don't even use those words at all anymore. What are those two places? Those are the places of death for a Jewish mind. That was kind of like the holding tank uh, where people went when they died. And so it's the grave. So he's like, the author's like, if if the dead, the place of the dead is open up before the Lord, and I can't think of anything farther away to understand or in more darkness than death and the grave. If God sees that, what do you think he sees in your heart? You think you're hiding something from God? He sees where souls go when they die. What could we possibly hide from him in our hearts? That's the point that he's trying to make here. There's nothing for a Jewish mind that was further away and more mysterious than the dead and where the dead people go. But this author saying all that's clear to the Lord. How can we even think about hiding something from him? So we need to walk in the eyesight of God, like in the clear light of day, in the eyesight of God. What does that mean? It means to confess. When you walk in the eyesight of God, confess. You know what confession means? Confess, right? It's two words in Latin. One means to speak and the other means with to speak with. So when you confess, you are speaking with, you're agreeing with the Lord, I know that's sinful. When you, we think confession is revealing something to God, right? Like we're going to go to God and tell him something. Hey God, last night I watched something on Netflix I shouldn't have watched and God's going to go, what? I didn't know that. Oh my God, what a loser you are. God's going to go, I know. Thank you for bringing that to me. I love you. Thank you for telling me that. 
Let's, let's work together to get that done. I'm going to hear my Holy Spirit to do something in your heart new, and I'll change that. That's confession, to speak with God, to agree with God. This is sinful. This is pushing me away from you. When you walk in the eyesight of the Lord, you confess. He knows already. He's lovingly watching you, and he's calling you to himself. Comfort. God sees your burden. He sees your pains. He sees your doubts. He knows without anybody telling you, but he wants to comfort you. And as you come to him and you walk in his eyesight, in, his, in the light of his eyes, you recognize he knows and he wants to comfort me. Counsel, you're going to rely on him for insight and course correction. He sees, he knows, God knows. I'm just going to ask a question. How many of you have in the next month, the next 30 days, a, pretty, a big decision to make and you don't know exactly which way to go? Just put your hand up. Anything at all, school, life, finances, family, something like that. Okay, 30 days. You know who's already been there? God. You know who's there right now? God. You know who planned for it before you knew it was on your calendar or your radar? God. When you walk in the eyesight of God, you realize, oh my gosh, he's already been there. He's there now, right? If I need counsel about something, where can I go? The eyesight of God. He knows. Compassion. God wants to act on our struggles to encourage us when we do right. So when I walk in God's eyesight, I see those. You walk exposed to the Lord. Listen, and it's a place of grace. Overwhelming grace. Get that, we got to get that through our heads, man. Especially those of us in the evangelical world. We grew up on brimstone and fire and hell sermons. You know what I mean? And, and none of that's not true. But man, we've got to kind of get through our heads that the throne of God is a throne of grace. And when God watches over you, there is grace for you, overwhelming grace. So it's quit pretending, especially with God. He already knows, and he loves you, and he walks with you, and he counsels you, and he calls you, he comforts you. We need to walk with him in the light. Wisdom, wisdom sees that God is on my side, and we run to him. We run to him. We don't run away from the all-seeing eye of God. We run to it. Because it's there that we receive grace, counsel, help, compassion, and comfort. Amen? Verse 11. Oh, we did shield about him. My bad. Verse 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. There's a strong connection between righteousness and wisdom. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. What is the connection between righteousness and and wisdom, because it's hard to read Proverbs if you don't understand when it uses the word righteous or righteousness, exactly what he's talking about. So in the book of Proverbs, there's a very strong connection between righteousness and wisdom. God makes us righteous. He gives us the, the, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He's recreating us. He's giving us new understandings and insights into right and wrong and good and evil and the, the best path to walk through life. It's a supernatural gift of wisdom that comes from being recreated and having the indwelling spirit in us. This is how those two things are tightly connected to one another. God gives us the righteousness of Jesus, and that righteousness leads to a practical way of living that honors him. And it clears the path for more wisdom to be received and practiced. So scripture presents wisdom and righteousness as like twins that are happening. They, they go together. That as you grow in righteousness, you gain wisdom. And as you practice wisdom, you gain righteousness. And they kind of constantly feed off of each other in that way, work together. 
in this relationship that way. They're like twins. True followers of Jesus Christ are walking in an increasing experience of righteousness. What is righteousness? Holiness lived out in a practical way and wisdom, which is right thinking applied to complicated circumstances. If you're a believer, you're experiencing those things more and more all the time. Righteousness, holiness that's lived out practically and wisdom, right thinking that's applied to complicated situations. They go hand in hand. Now some of you are really confused and I want to briefly clear this up. You're trying to take this word righteousness from the Proverbs and apply it to a New Testament understanding. You're thinking like Romans and you're like, well, Romans says no one's righteous, no, not one. How do I understand this and make these things work out? They're not the same. They're different from the righteousness in Romans, okay? So the righteousness we have here is a practical obedience to God's word. It's a righteousness that comes from the righteousness that we have Right? We're made righteous through Jesus Christ, and then we're compelled to live the right way every day. That's daily wisdom, daily righteousness. So that's how those two things are different from one another. So really, the only question for you to ask is, am I? Am I experiencing an increasing level of living a practical kind of righteousness, daily wisdom, when I have complicated situations that come up in my life? It's all about grace. All of this is grace. If you are, if you're like, yeah, God's moving in me and I'm living in a way that honors him and I'm, I'm increasing in wisdom and knowledge and righteousness on a daily basis, I'm really pretty good. You know, put the brakes on a little bit. Remember that it's all grace. Jeremiah 9.23 says, don't let the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the wise boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. Even if you're wise and growing in wisdom, don't get stuck on yourself, right? Don't start believing everything about yourself and how great you are. God's doing something amazing in you, but it's not about you. It's about the work that he's doing in you. So that's the connection between righteousness and wisdom. So how is God proactively giving us wisdom? I'm not going to run through these verses. I'm just going to tell you what they are. Verse 1, 5, 12, 18, 22, 30, 6, 16, 26, 27. All right, did you get all those? You can look at the podcast, okay? Several times, about 10 or 12 times in this passage, God's like, here's how I'm putting wisdom in your life. Here are the different ways that I'm putting wisdom in your life. I think it boils down to two things. Opportunities and people. How is God practically bringing wisdom into your life? The third thing that's not here that I'm going to give is the Holy Spirit supernaturally sometimes goes and just gives you some wisdom and understanding. But for the most part, the way that you're gaining wisdom and righteousness, practically daily living it out, is opportunities and people. So now I just have to ask, if that's true, if God is working wisdom in me and the primary ways that that happens are through the opportunities that he brings into my life and the people he brings into my life, am I looking for them? Am I looking for them? Am I, do I tend to see people as their value is based on what they can give me? Or that they have no value and I should just move on for them? Or do I look at people and go, what wisdom can I gain here? What understanding might I gain here? What bit of righteousness might I gain here? They may not be everything that you want to be in life, but has God given them something that you need? 
Maybe there's something that God, his grace gift is bringing into your life through them. Are you looking for it? Are you treasuring that? Who has God put in your life that has wisdom? So I'm not asking who's the wisest person in your life. Like we talked last week, I'm not asking do you have a Gandalf in your life, right? I'm not asking that. I'm asking the question, who has God put in your life that has some wisdom? Even a little bit of it. Do you know who they are? Are you looking for it? These people that God could use in your life. There's a Broadway play, Wicked. It's been huge. It's been on Broadway for 30 years now, I think, or 25 years. At the end of it, there's conflict between these two characters. And at the end of it, this, one of the songs says this. I think it's great. I've heard it said that people come into our lives for a reason, bringing something we must learn. And we are led to those who help us most to grow if we let them, and we help them in return. Well, I don't know if I believe that's true, but I know who I am today because I knew you. Who can I say if I, or who can say if I've been changed for the better, but because I knew you, I've been changed for good. That's a great perspective that I think we can have here on Proverbs about wisdom, that God is working wisdom into our lives, and I don't know if everybody does something awesome in my life, but I know that I can be a changed person for good because God's got wisdom for me through other people. I need to have my head up about that. Now, what about your opportunities? That's people. What about opportunities? Every circumstance is an opportunity. Do you look at your life like that? Because I don't normally... Every circumstance is an opportunity. So instead of saying, what situation do you find yourself in, or what circumstance do you find yourself in, change it to say, what opportunity do I have here? Every circumstance that you're in is an opportunity. Will you grow and mature and develop Christ-likeness? Will you shed off more of that old skin and that old man and put on more wisdom and more of Jesus' mind and character? That's the question we have to ask there. This goes way, way, way back. This is so practical. I don't know if there's any more practical sermon series we're ever going to do than walking through Proverbs. This goes way back. We've been thinking about how to make good decisions and gain wisdom for as long as man has been around and writing things down. Aristotle, that's before Jesus, so for you non-history people, that's a long time ago, okay? Aristotle, Greek uh, thinker, thought that our fundamental social practices demanded choices, like when to be a loyal friend, how to be fair, how to confront risk, how and when to be angry, and that making the right choices demanded wisdom. To take the example of anger, the central question for Aristotle was not whether anger was good or bad, or the abstract question about what the nature of anger is. It was a particular concrete issue of what to do in a very particular circumstance who to be angry at, for how long, in what way, and for what purpose. The wisdom to answer such questions, to act rightly, was distinctly practical, not theoretical. Can I say the same thing about our theology? When God says, in your anger, do not sin, that is not a theological truth to be pondered over for the next 10 years. That's, you've got to figure that out tomorrow when you get ticked off at somebody, Right? What does it look like? Okay, if I'm going to be angry, how am I going to be angry and not sin? How long will I be angry? To what purpose will I be angry? How will I resolve my anger issues? That is practical wisdom. That is the new character of Jesus Christ being lived out through you in righteousness and wisdom. It depends on our ability to perceive the situation, to have the appropriate feelings or desires about it, and to deliberate about what was appropriate in these circumstances, and then to act. 
That is great theology. That is great Proverbs theology. Am I perceiving what's going on? How do I feel about that? Am I thinking correctly about the right steps to do something? And then what am I doing about it? That is godly wisdom, guys. And we've been thinking about this for a long time. And yet here it is, spelled out a lot in black and white. I don't like all of it, what it tells me to do, but it's here. And wisdom is understanding this, perceiving this rightly, having the courage to act on it. So a circumstance, for instance, an opportunity. Your boss speaks degradingly to you. It's an opportunity. In your anger, do not sin. Pray for those who abuse you and misuse you. Romans gives us this. It says, if you want to get back at people that are mean to you, be nice to them, because it's like pouring coals of hot fire on their head. <laughs> so that's scripture, all right? So apparently when somebody's mean to you, be nice, and it's like you're pouring coals of hot, hot coals on their head. We have to be on the lookout every day for how to draw wisdom out of our people in our lives, circumstances in our lives, and quite frankly, how to draw near to God in wisdom and righteousness, even the circumstances that God gives us. So verse 29 says, The Lord, here we go again, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Some of us are here this morning and we're like, God seems so far away from me. And I've been praying and I've been asking and nothing's happening. Why isn't this going down in my life? Why isn't it happening the way that I want it to in my life? Why isn't he saying yes to my prayers? Which, by the way, is pretty much what we mean when we, when we say or think that God's not hearing me. Don't we? I mean, really, we mean he's not saying yes to me. He's not giving me what I'm asking for. I go, parents, how many times have your children asked you for something and you said no or didn't even hear what they said? I can't hear you right now, right? <laughs> Doesn't mean that God's not hearing. It may mean that he's saying no. It may mean later. It may mean not, you're, right, you're not ready yet. It doesn't mean he's not hearing. But too often we go, why isn't God listening to me? Why isn't he saying yes to me? Why does it feel like there's a great distance between me and God? God can do whatever he wants to. General rule of thumb, Proverbs and scriptures. God's not going to bring blessings to the wicked, but he does desire for the wicked person to come to him so he can bless them. Now, God can do what he wants to. He's going to make the sun shine on the righteous and the wicked alike, and I understand that. But God's not proactively looking for ways to bless wicked people, people who are far from him. He wants that wicked person to come back to him, confess to him, see him as their father, and then he wants to pour blessings into their lives. So some of us are thinking, yes, I'm glad I came today. This reinforces all of my desire to do good, to work hard, to be performance-driven. This is awesome. I've been right the whole time. I can earn God's attention. Some of us have this idea in our head. It's just, again, like when you, when you come from home from like being on a trip, right? And your kids are there, and they're already crazy people anyway, but then they get crazier because they want your attention. Remember that? be out of town for a week and you come back in the door and they're crazy people. They're insane. Daddy, watch this. Mommy, see this. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And they do the crazy, they start, you know, backflips off the roof and stuff just so you'll pay attention to them. And some of us have this idea, watch me, Daddy, look how good I am and you'll hear me. If I'm good, God will hear me and give, my, give me what I want. If I perform the way I'm supposed to, he'll hear me and say yes to me. God is far from the wicked is what this verse says. 
What does the wicked mean? Willfully sinful. You're, wa- you're the fool that we talked about. You're walking away from God. Secondly, the person who believes in performance-based religion. It's a form of evil. You understand that? You're trampling on grace every time you think you can earn something from God. And it is wicked and evil, and it's man-based, and it's based on my flesh. I can be good enough. God is far away from the wicked. The willfully sinful, performance-based religion. Then I would say religious users, people who want to validate their position or their influence or their meaning by religious things. God is not passive and reacting. He is purposefully planning ways to strengthen and encourage your journey and to push you toward wisdom. And sometimes that means that you fall into misery and life falling apart and the foundations if you do life your way. Sometimes he lets that go on. And then he'll be close to you and he says yes to you when you you humbly submit to him. God is actively seeking ways to be on your side in correction and encouragement. Are you experiencing the correction of God and the distance of the Lord? Listen, it's grace and love. It may seem like it's cruelty and meanness, but when God has steps away from you, there should be warning signs in your head and your heart. It's grace that causes God to step away. How, how terrible would it be for God to draw near to me when I perform the way he wants me to or that I think he wants me to and says, good job. That would reinforce every horrible thing in my heart that I think about God, that he's somehow impressed by me. So it's grace that he steps away, that there's distance between us at that time. Are you experiencing that? It's grace. Are you walking with him in wisdom? He is going to answer you and he is with you. Just keep walking with him. Colossians 2, my goal is that you would be encouraged in heart and united in love so that you may have the full riches and complete understanding in order that you you may know the mystery of God, namely Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. That you would walk closely with Jesus because in him is all the wisdom and knowledge and understanding of God. Some of us aren't doing this because we're distracted. We'll close with this. We're supposed to be pursuing Christ. God's doing things. He's moving. He's watching. He's ready to interact and to act for us and to encourage us. We're supposed to be developing wisdom, pursuing Jesus Christ, but it can be very easy to get distracted. In Proverbs and in this proverb, it gives some examples of that, of ways that people can get distracted. Our primary distraction is pursuing my way instead of God's way. What is the essence of foolishness? doing life my way. I can just get distracted from pursuing Jesus by doing things my way. So are you distracted from pursuing righteousness and wisdom? Practical question. How many times this week did you pursue righteousness? I'm going to do this because it's the right way that God would want me to do this and I love him and I want to look like Jesus. I want to look like my father. I want to live the way he wants me to. I love him. He's changed my life. He saved my soul. That's righteousness. How many times this week did some, ex, some conversation like that go in your head? I'm not going to do that because I want to live in a way that looks like my dad. I want to honor him with my choices. How many times this week did you pursue righteousness? What's distracting you from pursuing righteousness and wisdom? In Proverbs 15, it gives three examples of chasing after money wealth I remember John Piper said one time he said there are no U-Hauls attached to hearses 
Do we get that? There's no U-Hauls attached to hearses. Do we understand that? That there's a wisdom that says that I can enjoy the things of this world, that I'm, I'm not, none of it's worth my heart and my soul. None of it. That there are things in this world that God's given me to enjoy and I can do it in such a way that it honors him. Like really enjoy life and do it in a way that honors him, but I'm not basing my life on those things. Righteousness, wisdom, a heart that knows how to enjoy these things without being ruled by them, that heart goes on forever. But we can be distracted by all these things. What's distracting you from pursuing righteousness and wisdom? Are you pursuing these things? Is God near you? Is he delighted in your prayers? I love that verse. He is delighted in the prayers of the upright, of the wise, of the righteous. He delights in them. When we pray, every time we pray, it's an act of faith. Do you realize that? Even if you have cruddy prayers, man, every time you call out to the Lord, you're, you're saying, God, I need you, right? You're the only one who can help me here. It's, there's a little bit of faith involved in all of our prayers. Every time we pray, it's an act of faith. Anytime we rely on God, it pleases Him. Every time we pray, it's a way of telling God, don't accept me because I'm working really hard for you. Accept me because I need you. Hear my prayer because I need you and I have nowhere else to go. That's the only reason that I'm acceptable to you is because I'm coming to you as a source of all life. Psalm 17, 8 says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Don't we want that to be how God sees us? The apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. We just bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's just start there. God, when you see me, when you think of me, when you have my face in your brain, however this works for God, right? But God, when you see me, Keep me as the apple of your eye. God, when you think of me, hide me in the shadow of your wings. Keep me from trusting in myself. I got a lot of good ideas of what I think life's supposed to be like. A lot of good ideas about what it means to be a man or a woman or married or a parent or a boss, successful. I got a lot of good ideas, God. I have this magnetic pull that pulls me to do things my way and it's foolishness. Save me from that. Keep me from the distractions that could keep me from gaining wisdom and righteousness. God, I confess I'm just a fool without Jesus Christ. We're fools, God, for not trusting you and treasuring you for our eyes not being turned up toward you, God. Father, I pray that we would live in the confidence that you are watching us. Father, that, that you, your eyes are on us and that you're strengthening us. You are watching us so you can give us courage. God, I've been a liar and a cheat and unfaithful and unkind. I've trusted in my own goodness. I've been gluttonous. I'm undisciplined. I'm undisciplined in how I use my phone, my time, what I eat and drink and my entertainment, God, regularly forgive me for thinking that I could come in this morning and offer you worship and prayer and praise and you would somehow be obligated to move. God, give me daily righteousness. 
Some of you need to call out to the Lord to be saved. Your biggest problem isn't that you live like a fool. The pro- your biggest problem is you're far away from Jesus. God, save me this morning from my sins. Pray that prayer. Father, thank you for this word today. Give us wisdom and righteousness as we walk under your eye that looks to just strengthen us and encourage us and build us up for life. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks, you guys, for being here.